Today we begin a uh, new series of messages for the summertime. Questions Jesus Asked. It was amazing as I began to uh, think about this and look through the scripture, how many questions there are from beginning to end. And how many questions that Jesus asked. And, and during the course of these next two months, we're really only to skim the surface of the questions that Jesus asked. But Jesus asked questions for a purpose. Because he was trying to get people to think. Isn't it amazing how you can go through a lot of your day and not really have to think about very much? He wanted people to consider, to engage their minds as well as their hearts. And when they did, he challenged them outside what was comfortable, outside their box, their comfort zone. And so the questions that we will consider over the course of this month and next will really challenge us to think outside our box, to get us to engage our minds and not just coast through the worship service or coast through the scriptures. And today, we want to begin with a question that Jesus asked, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? In 2002, Adam Bertel, who was a 20-year-old atheist, put his soul up for sale on eBay. If you don't know what eBay is, it's an Internet site where you can sell pretty much anything. And so he put his soul up for sale. And it began with a bid of five cents. I don't know what they, I don't know who bid five cents for it. His girlfriend, I don't know whether she's an atheist or not, but she certainly understood uh, some biblical numerology. Uh, when, when his girlfriend bid on his soul, she bid $6.66. As the bidding neared the end, it really kind of went into a flurry and got as high as $400 before eBay caught it, recognized this is not something we want to do, and pulled the ad. Now, the reason that this young man gave for putting his soul up for sale was not try to make some point about religion, point about faith, point about eternity. He was just bored and decided to sell his soul. If that's not odd enough, Reuters News Service reported that Contora Loan Company in Latvia was issuing loans, and the only collateral you had to put up was your soul. If you couldn't get a loan anywhere else, you could go to this loan company and get a high-interest, short-term loan, and the only collateral you had to put up was your eternal soul. Many of you had to read uh, Faustus or Dr. Faust as you were growing up. It basically came from a German story, and it's had many, many incarnations where this man sells his soul to the devil for knowledge and wealth. As we think about these things and let them tumble around in our minds, what is the worth of a soul? Or what is it that you would exchange your soul for? You and I might never think of it in the terms that we just heard this morning, in putting our soul on eBay or in, in literally selling our souls to the devil, but many have made subtle bargains based on not valuing their souls at all. Today, we want to change that thinking and consider what Jesus has to say to us. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to Mark's Gospel, the 8th chapter, Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. 
Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Father, would you help us to understand and apply this word, your truth, to our hearts? For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. If you've read through the Gospels, you know that there are times when Jesus would pull his disciples aside and he would take them to a place where he could teach them individually. And then there were times when Jesus interacted with the crowds. This is one of those times. In the crowds would be people who would be disciples, that is, those who had chosen to be followers of Jesus. There would be some curious people there just kind of wanting to see this miracle work or this person that some say could be the Messiah. And so they came out of mere curiosity. And then there would be a group of skeptics, a group of people who really didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was or he was tricking people or he was deceiving people or he was just some kind of magician, but he wasn't really who he said he was. This is one of those times. The crowds are around Jesus. And as they gather around him, he puts forth this huge challenge. He, he, he comes forth with something that really would rock their world, set them back on their heels. One of the things Jesus certainly didn't do was sugarcoat what it meant to follow him. He put it out there. He laid it out clearly and plainly and in, uh, no, with no uncertain terms. You could not help but understand what it meant to come and to follow Jesus Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, obviously, Jesus did not have a PR person. Jesus did not have someone saying, hey, now, let me tell you how you need to word this so you don't get people upset, so you don't start making enemies. He obviously was not a politician that we would find very favorable today. He would say things that would make Fox News and CNN and MSNBC in the front pages of all the papers. He would say things that would get people talking and many people rejecting him. But Jesus was not there to try to win friends and influence people. He was there to try to convince people of God's truth and to call them to follow him no matter the cost. To come after Jesus means to choose to follow him. If anyone would come after me, you're answering a call to be a disciple, a learner, putting yourself under the leadership and the teaching of Jesus. Now, this is important. You're placing yourself under the leadership. That is, Jesus is now the one who, who kind of gives you your marching orders, but you're also placing yourself under his teaching. That is the truth that comes from his mouth. You are exchanging your own leadership of your life for his leadership. You're exchanging what could be your own truths that you have come up with during your life for, for his truths. It's more than just a hobby following Jesus. It's more than just a, 
a curiosity. It's more than just a, a casual interest. Jesus said to come after him means self-denial. I don't know about it. Sometimes I deny myself things. Last night I was offered ice cream after dinner. I, I didn't eat it. I denied myself the ice cream. But when it comes to denying self, that's far bigger than just saying no to a second helping of macaroni and cheese or ice cream or whatever it might be. Basically, to deny yourself means to say no to yourself. To deny yourself is to cease to make self the object of your life and your actions. It is, in fact, a complete reorientation of life, placing God and His will at the center. That is what it means to deny self. That is, I am not making these decisions based on self anymore. What I want, I'm basing these decisions based on what God wants for my life, on Jesus' leadership in my life. That is the basis of my decisions from this point on. That's what it means to deny self. It means to say no to self and yes to Jesus. Now, there are those times when self and Jesus both say yes, and we rejoice in those times, but there are those difficult times when we really want this. We really want this direction in life. We really want this course of action, and yet we have to say no to it because we know that God has another course for our lives, that Jesus has another direction which he wants to lead us. Had Jesus stopped with this, it would have been enough to send many people home. Deny self? That doesn't fit with my philosophy of life. That doesn't fit with, if it feels good, do it. That doesn't fit with, have it my way. That would be enough to turn many people off, but he doesn't stop. He goes on to tell the crowd that if they wanted to come after them, they should not only deny themselves, but they should take up their crosses and follow. Now, when we think of this terminology, take up your cross, sometimes we, have a, we might say something like, that's just my cross to bear. And in saying that, what we're saying is we have this issue in life. It might be a physical issue. It may be something with uh, a, a relative. It may be something with your husband or your wife. It may be a wayward child or a wayward parent. Uh, it may be a, 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 a parent or a grandparent who's become old and infirmed and, and, and can't help themselves and you have to help them. Anything that, that you have that is weighing down on you and that you can't give it to anybody else, it's yours, sometimes you'll say, well, that's just my cross to bear. And I guess that's an okay analogy. It's an okay thing to say, but it has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he has something very specific in mind, and no one there would misunderstand it. When he said, take up your cross and follow me, what he had in mind was crucifixion. What he had in mind was this custom of the Romans that as you are on your way to die, you're carrying the cross beam of your cross. That is what Jesus had in mind. And you can imagine, now Jesus is not just talking to the twelve. Jesus now is talking to the crowds, mixed with some followers, some curious people, from some, some skeptics. He's speaking to the crowds, and he's saying, listen, this is what it means if you want to follow me. Self-denial and take up your cross. That is what it means. The powerful hymn by Isaac Watts that was the basis of the song we just sung, The Wonderful Cross. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. That sums up what Jesus is saying. Now, (laughs) 
I don't think there'd be too many people in Roman times singing, Oh, the wonderful cross. Okay, that's like singing, Oh, the wonderful electric chair. Oh, the wonderful death chamber. Oh, the wonderful gallows. Oh, the, the, the wonderful guillotine. We don't think about it in those terms. It is only wonderful because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is only wonderful because he died there taking our place. It is only wonderful because that instrument of execution became God's instrument of salvation. That is why it is wonderful. And when Jesus says, come and take up your cross, what he's saying is, come and die. But that's not the end. Take up your cross and follow me. Come and die so that you can truly live. You know, many in Jesus' time did die as martyrs. Some even died being crucified. It is said that Peter died crucified upside down because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner in which Jesus died. But even if you and I never are martyred for the sake of Christ. All of us, each and every one of us, is called to come and die so that we can truly live. As the Apostle Paul wrote it, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am a dead man walking. I have been crucified. Therefore, I can say no to self because it is not my life any longer. It belongs to Christ. I am found in Him. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Now, here's the problem. And this is what have caused the consternation in the crowd. Our human nature strives for self-preservation. We are striving for self-preservation. Our human nature strives for comfort. We want to avoid pain and discomfort at every cost. We seek to extend our existence as long as we can and to make that existence as as comfortable as we can possibly make it. Self-denial and cross-bearing go against the very fabric of our existence. It challenges us to the core. Jesus knew that. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't soft pedal it. Jesus told them as it was, and he tells us as it is. Now, the people may not have recovered from this first stunning blow when Jesus goes ahead and just adds on to it. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. You are holding on tooth and nail to life and to the comforts that life affords. You may be making a poor choice. Think about it. We hold on tightly to life and the comforts of life, but in doing so, we may be making a poor choice. We may have bought into the world's way of thinking, to our culture's way of thinking, to society's way of thinking, rather than into God's way of thinking. In order to help us, Jesus also tells us a story. We find it in Luke chapter 12. In that story, Jesus says that the ground of a certain man, rich man produced a good crop. 
He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store the crops. The abundance was so great. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you've plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I want to tell you there's nothing wrong with money and possessions. Not at all. But what you notice in this story that Jesus tells us is never once... Never once did this farmer who had been blessed so much, never once did he say, God, what do you want me to do with this? It was all about himself. All about extending his life, or so he thought, and living that life comfortably. But it was a poor choice. God calls him a fool. Perhaps you saw the bumper sticker some years back that read, He who dies with the most toys wins. Someone else issued a bumper sticker, kind of a response to that, which read, He who dies with the most toys still dies. It's true. This life does offer many pleasures, but it is only temporary. It doesn't last forever. If we are doing all that we can, using all of our resources, all of our time, and all of our energies on extending this life and living comfortably in this, in, in this life without saying, God, what do you want me to do with these things? God, how do you want me to respond to these resources that you have given to me? Now, for some of you, they're greater than for others. You, go, you may look around and go, what resources? Let me tell you, if God hasn't given you money, He's given you time, every breath that you take, every tick of the clock, God has given you. It's good to take a moment and say, God, this is a day that you've made. What do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to spend it? How do you want me to invest this time that you have given to me? Now, like I said, stuff is not evil. Money, property, those things are not evil. Someone is, has kind of mischaracterized what the Bible says to make it say that money is the root of all evil. But the Bible never says money is the root of all evil. The Bible does, however, say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, all varieties of evil. So it's not that money is bad. It's just that when we love money and pursue money and it becomes for us kind of an idol that we set up and chase after, The Bible also tells us that you can't serve God and money. You can't have dual allegiances. You can't have a divided heart. You must either serve one or the other. You can't serve both. And and Paul tells in 1 Timothy, that it's not up here on the scripture, that that loving money is, is a sign that you don't belong to God. These are serious things about money. And it's not that money is bad. It's not that possessions are bad unless they possess you, unless they have your heart. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The thing that you value most, the person that you value most, that is where your heart is. 
Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now all these other things, they'll take care of themselves. Now, having challenged the crowd, having really rocked their world, challenged their minds, challenged their thinking, Jesus then asks a powerful and thought-provoking question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? If at the end of life you have more stuff, more power, more prestige, more money, and more wisdom than anyone else, would it be worth it to have it all if you would lose your soul? I mean, this is, what, this is the point that Jesus is driving at. When we consider all that life could potentially offer to us, having it all, like there's a beer commercial that asks the question, who says you can't have it all? Well, perhaps you can, but at what cost? But at what price? Would you have made a better bargain have you get, had you given it all up for the sake of Christ? And there are people that do. There are people who give it all up for the sake of Christ, and, and we don't hear about them. They sell their possessions and go to work with the poor. Take off and go on a mission field. They give up a lucrative career to go back into the public school systems to teach. They give it all up for the sake of Christ and follow the calling that God has placed on their hearts. You say, but wait a minute. Does that mean all of us just need to sell everything we have and go, and, and, you know, go start a, a ministry, a mission somewhere? That is not what God is saying. God blesses your activities. I wish more people would start for-profits than non-profits and hire people and, give, and teach them how to use their resources for God's glory and multiply the ministry. I wish there were more for-profits for God's glory. You see, possessions aren't bad. Possessions aren't evil. Money isn't bad. Money isn't evil. It all has to do with our hearts and whether or not we're denying ourselves and taking up our crosses and following Jesus. Tony Campolo put it this way. When, we, when they lay you in the grave, are people going to stand around reciting fancy titles you've earned or are they going to stand around giving testimonies to the good things that you did for others? If it ever comes down to a choice between a title or a testimony, go for the testimony. You see, we invest our lives in something, don't we? All of us do. We're going to invest our lives. We're going to invest every tick of the clock, every beat of our hearts in something. We're going to invest every dollar in something. We must choose wisely. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote about his life. Now, let's, let's think. When we think of the Apostle Paul, we're thinking about this church planner, about this missionary, about his being shipwrecked and beaten and all those things. But if we wind the clock back to before Paul was Paul, back when he was called Saul, back when he was a Pharisee, he had a good life. He was comfortable. He had money and possessions and position and a great reputation. He was an up-and-comer. He was the next big star on the Jewish religion horizon. 
This was Paul, who was at that point Saul. And when he considered his life now as a Christian and looks back on it, this is what he says. But whatever was my, to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. That's a word that you and I may not use very much. We might use the word garbage or trash. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul says, when I take a look at all that I had, being a rising star, an up-and-comer, having the reputation, having the power, having the, having the resources and the property and the, the money. When I consider all those things that I had and I consider the call of Christ and what it costs to follow Christ, what it costs to take up my cross, what it costs to deny self, when I consider that, I count all that other as trash to be put in the waste can compared to knowing Christ. It is exactly an echo of what Jesus is saying. What will you give for your soul? Would you forfeit your soul in order to possess the whole world? You see, we have a choice. This is what God has given us. We have a choice. We can choose to live for the here and the now. We can choose to live as and accumulate wealth as best as we can. We can choose the life of comfort and the life of ease. We can choose to satisfy our every whim. We can choose to gain the whole world in so much as that is possible for us. But if we make that choice, we do so at a great, great price. William Barclay, in his little commentary on the book of Mark, says, A man may sacrifice honor for profit. You know anybody like that? Willing to sacrifice their honor in order to gain profit. A man may sacrifice principle for popularity. I'll exchange my core values in order to have, to be popular, to be well known. A man may sacrifice the lasting things for the cheap things. Things of real value for things that are shiny but have no value. A man may sacrifice eternity for the moment. I'm here to tell you we live in a generation of people who make those exchanges every single day. And into that world, into that culture, Jesus speaks. So what is our challenge? How do we put a bow on this today and tie it up? I believe there are two challenges that we need to hear based on what we've read this morning. The first is this. If you are not a Christian, choose Jesus. You have a choice. You can choose to go your own way, do it your own way, do your own thing, live your own life, make your own rules, do it your way. You can choose that. You are free to choose that today. You can do that if you want. But you need to understand the price that comes with that. You can gain the whole world. You can live your own life. You can do it your own way. 
and lose your soul. Or you can choose Jesus and trust him to give you those things that you need in your life as you follow him. When uh, I was still in seminary, we attended First Baptist Church in Arlington. And I tried to glean everything I could from those pastors who were there. They had a pastor emeritus. In other words, he'd been the pastor and he'd hung around for so long that uh, they didn't want to get rid of him. And so they brought in another pastor and gave him the honorary title of Pastor Emeritus. He had an office, and he, but he was full of wisdom. He just kind of oozed wisdom. And I was talking to him about funerals because that was something that we were studying at the time in seminary. You, you have to go through these things. They don't just happen magically. And so we were studying all of this, and I went to ask him about funerals and to get his wisdom and to get his insight. And he was telling me about some of the interesting things that happen at funerals and Interesting things actually do happen at funerals, okay? So he was telling me about one of these, and he said at, at one funeral, the, the man who died wanted to have the song, I Did It My Way, sung at the funeral. Now, you want to be compassionate to people who are going through grief, and you want to honor the request of the deceased as much as humanly possible. But how do you get up and preach a funeral message based on following Jesus Christ after you've got, you know, a Frank Sinatra-like rendition of, I did it my way. And this is how he chose to do it. As soon as the song is over and he walks up to the platform, this is what he says. If his way was Jesus' way, then it's okay. That's what it means to follow Jesus, that your way is the way of Jesus. If you are not a believer, not a Christian, choose Jesus. The second challenge that we have, if you are a Christian, then live as if Jesus really is Lord. Live as if Jesus really is Lord. Don't just give that title lip service. Live as if He is Lord. Peter who hung around with Jesus, wrote this, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Make this decision. In your hearts, set Him apart as Lord. Every day, as you roll out of bed, say, okay, God, I'm making you the boss. Jesus, I'm making you the Lord. You have control of my decisions today. And instead of me saying, okay, life's going well, you're, I'm being blessed. What am I going to do with all the stuff that, that you're bringing my way? Instead of saying, I, I can do this, I can make my own decisions, we go and we say, God, if I do it myself, I'm going to mess it up. And I remember when I became a Christian, I said that Jesus was not only my Savior, He was Lord, and I'd follow Him for the rest of my life. And, and therefore, what do you want me to do with this money today? What do you want me to do with this time today what do you want me to do with these blessings with these resources with all that you've done God what is it that you want out of my life because I today am denying self I'm taking up my cross and I'm following you folks those are two huge challenges and they belong to all of us how will you respond to Jesus challenge for your life